How did Zimbabwe emerge from the colonial country of Rhodesia, and how have the changes that have racked that country for close to 200 years affected people's lives? Welcome to the Jersey Arts Podcast. I'm Susan Walner. Today I'm talking to Denai Gurira, a playwright who has taken on the challenge of portraying historical events through human lives. Denai has written a new play called The Convert, set in 1895-96 during the first uprising in southern Rhodesia against European rule. The Convert is premiering at the McCarter Theatre in Princeton before moving on to Chicago and Los Angeles. Denai Guerrera, thank you for joining me today. I want to hear more about your new play, but first I wanted to hear about your personal connection to Zimbabwe. Well, I am of Zimbabwean parentage, so I was born here in the Midwest to Zimbabwean parents who had come here in the 60s and were here right through till deep until into the 80s. And then we moved back to Zimbabwe when I was very young, and I grew up there uh, and I came back here for college. So basically, I'm Zimerican. I'm from both places. No, what did you call that? Zimerican? Zimerican. Growing up as a Zimerican, what was, uh, how did you think of yourself? What was, uh, can you describe what that identity is like? It is tricky because um, my parents had been, you know, they'd been somewhat influenced by having lived here for 20 odd years of their adult life. So they weren't, we weren't raised typically. Um, I would say, in terms of my fellow Zimbabwean friends, how they were being raised. And a lot of my friends actually came from very mixed cultural backgrounds. Some of them were half one um, one ethnicity, half another. Some of them were half English, half half black Zimbabwean. Some of them were half Chinese, half black Zimbabwean. So I was always around people who were, you know, had cultural mixtures just in their very makeup. Um, But I was also always, and I was also always around people who had, like my parents, their parents had gone away and come back once Zimbabwe had gained independence in the early 80s. So, you know, there was that sort of mixture of identity that was in a lot of us. Um, But it was tricky because there were people who, you know, his parents had never left and that's the majority, obviously. And there, so the experience um, of growing up in Zim was for me a little different, I think, because my parents did not raise me, I think, exactly how they were raised or how my next-door neighbor's parents were raising their, their kids. You know, so it's, it, it was um, specific in the sense that I, I had um, a knowledge of uh, my connection to the United States, I guess, at all times. And my parents had been there in the 60s, and my parents are both academics, so my house was full of, you know, my mother's a librarian, for instance, so my house was full of uh, things from, you know, up from slavery to, you know, um, beloved to roots. And those are the books I was reading as I was growing up in my house, you know. So, you know, it, it, I was always kind of surrounded with an American um, sort of a, a consciousness, so to speak. A picture of Martin Luther King in our living room that he signed for my mother when he visited her college in, in, in 63 or whatever. So that sort of stuff was constantly around me. And that, and yet I was completely in Zimbabwe and I was raised in a very Zimbabwean culture because I was growing up there. So yeah, it, it was definitely a, a, a dual um, cultural experience. It's the immigrant experience a little bit, even though yours was different, where you have a different perspective on both cultures right. because you're not 100% of either. Right. Yeah. Right. So, And, and I think that actually has influenced um, my my creating of art, my creating of, of, of dramatic works, because I'm actually seeing, I sort of see, outs- I sort of can be an insider and an outsider at the same time of both societies. And um, I think that actually really influences how I've created my work, uh, because I, I can look 
with, I guess, somewhat of a little bit more objectivity sometimes, and also, but always a love, you know what I mean? There's always a deep love and an, an identity and an understanding and a compassion towards both places that I, you know, I call home. But, um, but at the same time, so at the same time, I think it really does influence how I write, actually. So, yeah, I'm inside and outside at the same time. So tell me about The Convert. Tell me, tell me the story. The Convert is based in the 1890s. It's uh, centered around a, a girl who escapes a forced marriage betrothal situation and flees to be for the protection of a catechist of the, of the Catholic Church who is an African. And uh, he is also part of the Native Commissioner's Office, which is run by the British South African Company, which, of course, was Cecil John Rhodes's very capitalistic structure. That was the colonial governing um, body at that time. So under that authority, he's able to save her from that situation, and she becomes somewhat of his protege. So we see her uh, transform from being a village girl um, with a lot of uh, tenacity and a lot of uh, determination uh, to being um, a, a, con a convert into the Catholic Church and deeply appreciating the faith for um, freeing her from that situation, which was happening actually a lot um, historically at that time and going into the 20th century. So it really is very influenced by real events. What do you mean it was happening a lot? People were using it as a way to escape their particular situations? Yeah, the church was a, a, it was a different, it was a body governed under different uh, rules than uh, the sort of the, the cultural structure that they were coming from. So the idea of there were a lot of things happening around women wanting to flee situations where they were being um, told to marry people they didn't want to marry, and they would flee to the church and they would be uh, protected under the church's jurisdiction from having to do that. And, um, you know, it, it's happened, it happened even in my own family. My grandfather's aunt, it happened to on my mother's side. So, um, and she became a, um, a sister of the Catholic Church and, and very actively involved in education um, across the Zimbabwean region. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real occurrence that occurred. And, and it wasn't, it, it actually, you know, the, the, I think the connection to the faith became genuine. It wasn't just uh, taking it on to, to take it on so it, as to use it, but it, it became a genuine connection to the faith. I was reading that you are planning a series of plays set in Zimbabwe and that this would be the first. Well, really, I'm intrigued by it. I mean, I grew up in Zimbabwe till the age of 19. Um, and so I went to high school there. I did what was called a, the A-levels or advanced levels, which is the British system of education. So it's a very intense um, level of education you do at the end of high school, kind of similar to AP here. But you come here and you instantly get a lot of credits for it, actually, in college. And um, I studied history, but we never really delved into, you know, all the specifics of what was happening on our own soil. And um, I think that's something that even even when I went home just now, I was in Zimbabwe from September to November. And, you know, even then I, I realized people don't realize the specifics of what was going on. I mean, except, you know, if I, or I went to spend time with a history professor, of course he did. But other than people of that level of training, a lot of us don't, a lot of the average Zimbabweans, we don't realize the specifics of the history. What was going on in Zimbabwe in the 1920s? What was going on in Zimbabwe in the, 19, in the, in the 1890s? You know, what was really going on? What did the landscape look like? What were people, what was the, what was the, what were the demographics? And I think sometimes we're slippery on that stuff. And I'm, I'm intrigued by that stuff. I think also we're still in an era where we're, we're we're a very young nation. We're getting around a lot of things right now. And so I think, you know, we're, we haven't really 
begun to really comb through those those decades, the 30s and the the, the 50s and the 70s and you know uh, the 60s. Um, a lot of people know that I started to ask people just questions, you know, who were around back then and not that far back, but you know, around in the 50s and. It's fascinating. It's an intriguing time period. Um, a lot of things were converging. A lot of things were emerging. Um, a lot of cultural aspects were present, and um, I, I just I think we just haven't I, we haven't explored our history in a way that I'm satisfied with. And I guess because I'm a child of academics, I'm very intrigued by digging into history. I'm very intrigued by letting it um, surprise me and take me on a journey that that I feel I, I want to tell a story about. So, so yeah, I think it's really that. I mean, also, honestly, uh, in 2008, I was asked to write an op-ed or of some sort um, by a pretty big newspaper about the Zimbabwe situation. And honestly, I didn't feel like that I qualified to do it. I thought it was a very, it's a very complex thing, and I thought that it, 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 people, I know what people expect me to say and want me to say, but I said, you know, I really need to go back to the inciting incident. I need to explore. The, our, what our experiences have been right through since the inciting incident, which is when black and white clashed on that little piece of land. And, uh, and, I, and so that's why I went right back to the 1890s. And I, I'm going to trek right through the century. You're doing this, it's based on historical events, but obviously it's fiction. And you're taking the story of a young girl and the people who surround her what sort of personal journey does she go through in this? It's really the, the journey that I think a lot of Zimbabweans have, um, or a lot of people who have to call a lot of cultures converging on on them have, which is, you know, how do you navigate that? How, how do you make a choice to be something other than what your mother and father are? And, and how do you sustain that in a realm where you're deeply the minority? How do you navigate your own path that's never been navigated before? Are you a pioneer or are you a follower? And um, that's really what she's, what we see, the journey we see her take. Um, I think there's a lot of questions throughout the play as we, at where we just don't know who she is. The convert was commissioned by the Center Theater Group in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. where, I, where it will end up. Mm -hmm. It's also going to the Goodman Theater in Chicago, but you chose to premiere it here. Why? Um, sometimes this is how the cookie crumbles, um, and uh, I love the McCarter. McCarter is, I love all three of these theaters. Um, they've all really supported and nurtured me and um, been a deep part of the, uh, the my process as an artist. You can't really, you know, you're, you're a playwright, but are your plays being produced? And thankfully, all these three theaters, my plays have been produced. They've all produced, Center Theater Group has produced all my plays. And... Um, the McCarter has been deeply supportive of me, um, helped me get grants to to keep continue researching, to travel for my last play where I had to go to Liberia. Um, they workshop produced my um, my play about my play Eclipsed, as did Center Theater Group. So the, my relationship with all three of them is very deep. I think the McCarter. Um, it, it really worked out uh, for the scheduling in, in one sense. It was really a scheduling thing. In the other sense, there was um, the aspect of how the play was actually um, being uh, dramaturged and the, the level of research we were doing. It, it made a lot of sense to start here. And Emily Mann is directing it. Right. Did you, was that your choice? Yes, it was my choice. Playwrights have a lot of choices, actually. It's when you get into TV and film, I think your choices diminish as a writer. Um, that was definitely my choice. Um, though I have, I guess I have heard of playwrights not being able to make those choices and being told. I, I haven't experienced that, thank goodness. 
Um, it was my choice. I, I love Emily. And before she was a, and deeply admire her, of course. And before she was um, the director, she was uh, involved with the development in a way that I really, um, that really inspired me and connected me more deeply to wanting her to helm it. Uh, there was a way that she reminded me that only I could tell the story when I was doing some rewrites and, and, and tweaking in the structure. And um, and there was something about just that simple conversation when I'd over-rewritten and she reminded me of an old draft that had my real clear initial instincts in it. And, there was, and, and the way she protected my initial instincts, the way she protected my my initial way of looking at things and and uh, and how I'd initially birthed it really made me think um, I, I want her to helm it because she gets what I'm doing and she uh, will protect what I'm trying to do. And you want that from a director. Um, you want to feel that they trust you and that they um, their sole desire is to allow you to, to see your vision come to pass. And I was amazed by someone of her, you know, you know, literally her clout and her iconic stature that she was reminding me that she was re-empowering me in the sense of saying, only you can do this. A lot of other people could say, this is how you have to fix it in 700 ways. So to be re-empowered by someone of that stature, I found to be amazing. And I, I knew at that point that I, I needed to, to work with her throughout the process. Well, thank you so much, Danai. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. And good luck with the production. Thank you, thank you. I hope to see you there. Denai Guerrero's The Convert starts in previews at McCarter's Berlin Theatre in Princeton on January 13th. Opening night is the 20th. For tickets, visit mccarter.org. For more information about all of the arts in New Jersey, visit jerseyarts.com. I'm Susan Walner. Thanks for listening. The Jersey Arts Podcast is made possible by the New Jersey State Council on the Arts. The New Jersey State Council on the Arts, encouraging excellence and engagement in the arts since 1966.